My name is Trace, one of the pastors here. Hi, Hi Mike. <clears throat> Wonderful to see you. Hi, Evanly. Well, welcome to Pillar Church of Oceanside. And hopefully you had a good uh, New Year celebration. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of thoughts about what 2020 was all about and a lot of anticipation about what is what is to come in 2021, but we we know quite a bit about God, I think. We learned quite a bit about God anyway. We should have that he uh, is, is still in control of all things. He is in sovereign, and he can be trusted and relied upon, and he is a source of all things that we need. And and so I just want to keep that at the forefront of our minds. And, and we're going to send out an email later on this week, as I'd mentioned last week, just some recommended reading, some resources, and some thoughts uh, from Mark and Mike and myself on 2020. And just, um, yeah, an opportunity to reflect on some of the things that God has done and, and, and yeah, just put our focus uh, on him. Keep our focus, I should say, on him. All right, so um, as Mike said, we're, we're jumping into John. So if, if you want to, you can start uh, flipping to the gospel according to John. Um, one, of the, one of the four gospel accounts that describes for us the life and work of Jesus um, it's often called the fourth gospel, um, not because it's, not only I should say, because it's the fourth one in order, um, but because it's unique among the other gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. Um, fancy word there, anybody familiar with that term synoptic? Okay, a couple more hands than I thought. It simply means seeing together. In other words, the first three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, while they're written by three different people to three different audiences, more or less, they have some similarity. They share similar language. The content that is included is similar. Even the timeline. Uh, of course, they're not identical in these categories, but there's enough there, enough similarity to sort of place them in that similar group and label them synoptic. Which hopefully in your mind begs the question, well, what makes John different? What's different about John? That's a good, good question. I'm glad you asked. We're going to answer that question, I think, along the way as we're walking through John, but uh, a few things right off the bat. Does anybody know what John does not use in his gospel that all three others use fairly regularly? Parables. parables. Very good. John does not use any parables in his writing. Also, all the different writers of the gospels, they start their accounts in different places. Some start right at the birth of Jesus, some go back in the lineage to Abraham, some back to Adam. Where does John go? He goes back to before creation, like he's way back in the timeline. But perhaps the most significant thing that John uses is the language to describe Jesus. So he's writing to a, both a Jewish and a non-Jewish, or Gentile as we call it, audience. And because of that, he's going to use some Old Testament information for those that would be familiar and then for us, non-Jews that are present, he's going to explain what he means in those Old Testament uh, phrases and words to help us that are unfamiliar with that. So John invests a lot of time helping his audience to see that Jesus is in fact the Christ. Anybody know what the Christ means? Another word for Christ? Messiah. Messiah. He is in fact God in the flesh. Equal with God. Unique, though, in his role 
to bring humanity into relationship with God the Father. So, as it turns out, we don't really need to guess why it is that John is writing the way it is. Because he, he tells us, if you open your Bible, hopefully you're in John already, but flip all the way to the very end of John. Go to chapter 20. John chapter 20. And look at verse 30 and 31. John chapter 20, just above verse 30. In, in my translation, there's a, a subtitle for this section. Anybody else have a subtitle for their section? What does it say? The purpose of the book, or why this book is written. So, what does it say? John 20, 30, 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So, there you have it. John's gospel account is written for all people, so that all people would believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, so that men and women from every Nation, tribe, people, language would believe and then have our everlasting life through Christ. So that we've titled this series, quite simply, Believe. The purpose of the book, John tells us, is that we would believe. So the series, as we walk through these 21 chapters of John, keep that at the forefront of your mind. Believe. Okay, just a few more thoughts before we jump in. Um, on the book overall. So who is this John that we're talking about? We're talking about the disciple of Jesus. He describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I, I kind of like that. It's a, it's a self-imposed title, but I promise you that John is not trying to flex here. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm the disciple, you know, the one that Jesus loved, and that makes me special. Uh, that's, that's, he's not trying to draw attention to himself, and we know that because in this entire book, he doesn't mention himself. <laughs> He doesn't even use his name. So we know he's not trying to draw attention to himself. What I think he's doing is he's describing himself and letting others know that the kind of love that Jesus has for him is the kind of love that he has for everybody. I think that's his intention in all of that. So we know it's the disciple, John, who laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. We know this is the guy that wrote this book. Um, just in terms of kind of how you're looking at this whole thing, because sometimes it's a little bit intimidating when you open a, a book of the Bible and you're like, I don't even know where to start on this thing. Like, how is it? How is it divided? How should I look at it? So, broadly, we can divide it into four sections. We've got a prologue and an epilogue, or a beginning and an ending. So, um, John chapter one, verses one through eighteen which is what we're going to cover today, is the epilogue. It's sort of the introduction to the book. The last chapter, chapter 21, is the ending, the, the, the epilogue. We're closing things down with that one chapter. The remaining content can be divided, like I said, into two sections. So, John 1.19 through chapter 12. All of that first part. John 1.19 through chapter 12 is going to be the first section. That's going to cover the signs of the Messiah. That is, his miracles. Uh, along with teaching about life in Jesus. That's the first section. And then chapter 12 switches gears and goes from 13 to 30, John 13, sorry, to, to John 20, which is going to cover his farewell teachings and the passion narrative, which is the last week of his life. So as you're looking at that, 
know that that's sort of the pattern that we're going to be exploring as we go. Look for other patterns. Uh, John likes sevens, so there's a lot of patterns of seven. You'll find seven titles for Jesus in the first chapter alone. There are seven miracles that we talked about in those first 13 chapters. There's seven I am statements that go throughout the, the gospel as well. So as we go deeper and deeper into this gospel, as you're maybe like in chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, and you're kind of like wandering and floundering, it's like, what What are we doing here? Why are we here again? What, what is the purpose of this book? Go to John 20, 30 and remind yourself that the bigger picture is that I write these things that you might believe. Believe, believe. Okay. I wanted to give a, a little bit of a, a broad overview, and I know that's sort of academic, but I think it's healthy to um, to understand what we're getting ourselves into. Uh, if you want to go a little bit further into these things, I would uh, recommend to you a great resource called The Bible Project. Uh, have all their videos on YouTube, and they have the Gospel of John divided into two parts, into two videos. So you can watch the first video, and it's going to kind of outline the first, I think, 12 chapters. Um, very helpful. Gives you a lot of information about things to be looking for. It just it it helps, I think, um, really put things into perspective and give us a little bit more information to help understand what it is that John is trying to say to us. So having said all that, let me pray, and we'll dive into uh, our text for this morning. So Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for um, John's gospel account. We thank you, Lord, that... You called him um, to walk with you. We thank you, Lord, that he was obedient in his walking with you. We thank you, Lord, that he was obedient in documenting um, really the story of your life and, and what that means for us. God, it is significant. This, this book that we're about to study, Lord, I know has been used for centuries now to, to bring people into a relationship with you. Oftentimes, Lord, we, we encourage non-believers or people who are curious to go to the Gospel of John and just start reading. Uh, God, as we do this, as we study this word, God, would you help us to either grow in our understanding of what it means to believe in you, or if there are some among us or some that come along the way who do not know you, Lord, that they would put their trust and faith in you. They would believe in you. And God, ultimately, help us to use this word in our everyday lives. God, it's not just a time to come and sit and listen, Lord, but prepare our hearts now as we do sit and listen for action. What do you have for us as we do this? Lord, we offer this time to you now. Thank you, Lord, that you speak through me with clarity and with boldness and with accuracy. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the overarching theme for our passage today, which ultimately is kind of the overarching theme for the entire gospel, is this. Jesus is the Son of God who came to give new life to those who believe. If you could just kind of sum up these 18 verses, Jesus is the Son of God who came to give new life to those who believe. Are right, we going to take these verses in four sections, and it all has to do with the Word. Every category we're going to look at is some aspect of the word. So the first one is introduction to the word. So we're getting introduced to the word. Let me read verses one through five. So if you go to John chapter one, verses one through five, you can follow along. Is what it says. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, so pause there. John spends most of the time, or I said spends the most time of all the gospel writers telling us who Jesus is. Of course, he's going to tell us about Jesus and things that he's done, but I think John is the most specific about who Jesus is. So right off the bat, we know that Jesus is made equal with God, which is going to be very problematic for Jesus. (laughs) He's claiming that he's God. That's a problem for the people that are going to hear that. But it was vitally important for John's audience, just as it's important for us and all of humanity, to know and understand who Jesus is. Why? Because we're not talking about a casual religious gamble with our afterlife. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about becoming children of God for all eternity. All right. Who is the Word? In the beginning was the Word. Who is it? Jesus. Jesus. All right, good. Interesting title, don't you think? The Word? Okay. What does John mean when he describes Jesus as the Word? Well, according to one scholar, he says this, Jesus was the personification of the written and spoken word. In the Old Testament, God revealed his word through the prophets, while in the New Testament, the word of God was revealed in a person, Jesus, the Son of God. Even still, the term is really only a placeholder, the temporary designation of something, someone. That will be filled in later. The entire gospel is needed to explain this term. So I say all that to say, man, it encompasses a lot. The title, The Word, we're going to discover has a great deep meaning uh, as we go. So, in the beginning was the Word. We know that now. In other words, Jesus was there at the beginning. The beginning of what, you may ask? Where else do we have this in the beginning language? Genesis 1-1, right? It's very beginning, in the beginning. So the beginning of us, humanity, creation, the universe, all of it. Jesus was there with God. But does John stop there? Nope. Then he says, Jesus, or the Word, was God. So in the very first verse of this book, John makes certain that there is no question about Jesus' identity. He is God. Right off the bat, which I said is going to be very problematic for Jesus. In fact, that is why he is killed for this very claim. All things were made by him that is Jesus, and absolutely was nothing made apart from him. So this is an important verse. If anybody had any um, folks come by your doorstep and talking about Jehovah, the Jehovah's Witnesses, you've seen them around, maybe perhaps in some of your neighborhoods or other places. This is a key verse when you're talking to them because they will tell you that Jesus was created at some point by God. According to what we just read in verses 1 through 3, that's just not true. He was not created. He is eternal. He has always been and always will be. We also learn that in the word was life. And that life was the light of men. Light and darkness, as we see, is going to be a recurring theme in John's gospel. So obviously there's a stark contrast. Light and dark, you can't get much opposite than that. God is light, while Satan is the power of darkness. People love one or the other. That's generally how it works. Jesus, or John tells us that um, Jesus is teaching on this. If you, you want to turn there, you can, but I'm just going to read John chapter 12, 35 and 36. It says, Jesus said to them, 
The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. There's that word again. Remember, this is chapter 12. It's just a little bit further down from where we are right now. Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Again, that's John 12, 35 and 36. So what does that mean? Of course, we're talking about salvation here. Become sons of light. Three key words are all working together in this section. Word, life, and light. Because Jesus is the word, life is in him, and he is the light of men. So you put that all together, and we see that. I'm going to be in John a little bit today, right? Okay, it's John 8, chapter 12, or 8, verse 12. One of Jesus' seven I am statements illustrates this. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Like I said, an important and recurring theme throughout the writings of John. So, revealing Jesus further as the light who brings eternal life. So we have an introduction to the word in these first couple of verses, these first five verses, and we learn some important things about who Jesus is. Let's look at the next section. Um, We have a witness to the word. We have an introduction to the word. Now we have a witness to the word in verses 6 through 8. So John 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So John then briefly introduces this other John. Who is this other John? John the Baptist. Very good. I heard one person say it. We're going to touch on him a little bit next week and we'll see him more and more. But a few important takeaways here really quickly. John the Baptist was sent by who? By God. Um, If you don't know sort of the other Gospels that fill in some of the the details, John the Baptist is about six months older than Jesus. So they were right there at the same time. And he was sent by God to bear witness to the light, a.k.a. Jesus. Why? So that all might believe through him. That is Jesus, right? John the Baptist was a prophet, paved the way for Jesus. He's a very prominent figure. In fact, Anybody want to take a guess of how many times in the New Testament John the Baptist is mentioned? Shout it out. What do you think? 89 times. At least 89 times John the Baptist is referred to in the New Testament. This is a vital figure because he is signaling who Jesus is. He's giving the cue like, hey, everybody, look over here. (laughs) Big Neon sign pointing, this is the Messiah. He is the light in whom life comes. Very, very important figure. And like I said, uh, we're going to hit a little bit more on that next week because the next section talks about that. So we have introduction to the word. We have a witness to the word. And now we have a manifestation of the word. Let's look at verses 9 through 14. So go back to John chapter 1. And we'll take the next section, 9 through 14. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So stop there. Jesus, as we talked about at the Christmas Eve service, is Emmanuel, God with us. The Word became flesh. He dwelt among us. He was here, a real person, real human being. And while he was living in the world, he was welcomed with open arms and with joy by everyone and everywhere, right? Well, let's check verse 10 again. Uh, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own and they did not receive him. He's called the true light. The true light was among them. The meaning of that word true emphasizes a completeness, an authenticity about who he was. Yet they did not know him. Now you guys may not know this about me, um, but I am a, a movie soundtrack nut. Um, my wife's shaking her head. I'm talking about the instrumental tracks that play in the background of movies, not like you know, hip songs and stuff like that. I'm talking about the, the instrumental music that goes on in the background. When I'm reading, when I'm studying, when I'm writing, all I'm listening to, hours and hours of movie scores over and over and over again. I know these composers. I know what their stylistic uh, preferences are. I can recognize, oh, that's so-and-so's writing or this is so-and-so's writing. I, I can anticipate what the, I've spent years with these people. I really, really know them. But do I really know them? No, I, I, I've never met any one of them. I, I know nothing about them as people. Like I said, I've not met a single one of them. I don't know who they truly are. I say that to say these people around Jesus, they knew him either by proximity or the news that was traveling around, but they had no relationship with him. And that's the meaning of the word know. The meaning is having a relationship not an intellectual knowledge. That's the difference that we're talking about. And verses 12 and 13 is going to capitalize on something for us. It's, it's really the gospel within the gospel. Right? We have the, the gospel accounts, but now we have really this highlighted section, verses 12 and 13, where we, we get to the heart of the matter. Just to go to paraphrase here. It says, but, all, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. Born of God. Born again, another way of saying that. So John is, is really, what he's doing, he's laying it all on the line right, right away. <clears throat> Jesus is God. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the life. He came for humanity. If you believe in Jesus, turn from darkness, that is, that you repent, you believe, you will be saved. That's the gospel, right? Right there in the heart of this passage. And it says, They saw his glory, full of grace and truth, yet they did not receive him. In fact, they put him to death for these very things that John is writing about. Interesting. But we have the manifestation of the word, Jesus born into the world, and we know that <clears throat> the next couple of chapters will outline for us his earthly ministry, and we'll see that unpacked as we go. But we have an introduction to the word. We have a, a proclamation or a heralder of the word. And we have a manifestation of the word in verses 9 through 14. And then we have um, this, this last section here, 
tells us about the uniqueness of the word. The uniqueness of the word. So look at verses 15 through 18. This is the last section here of, of the prologue. <clears throat> John chapter 1. Let's look at 15 through 18. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He has to come after me, or sorry, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So what makes the word unique according to these first couple of verses here of this section? Well, first is a reminder that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Now, that may not be super obvious from reading verse verse 15. But what John the Baptist is saying here is just that. Jesus was not physically before John. Right? Who was born first? John and then Jesus, like I told you about six months before. So he was not physically before John. He was born after him. But John says that Jesus was before him. And that's exactly what he's saying. Long before John was even conceived or thought about, Jesus was. He's eternal, which makes him unique. Jesus also has the fullness of grace and truth. Now this, my friends, is a very important dichotomy. Grace and truth. Have you ever thought about this? And maybe you know some people like this. All truth with no grace is not good. <laughs> all truth, no grace. In fact, when you put it in this context, all, all truth and no grace leads to condemnation. We understand the idea of grace as unmerited or undeserved favor. Like it's something that we do not deserve. But through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus, we know, defeated sin and death and offers the world the free gift of salvation. That is, forgiveness of sins and release from that penalty that we owed for our disobedience toward God. He paid the price on our behalf. So that's the grace, the amazing grace that we're talking about here. And without it, we are condemned. We're still dead in our sins and we are, we're done. But, flip the coin, all grace with no truth is deceitful. To tell someone the wonderful news about Jesus and leave out the fact that we are guilty before God and deserving of eternal punishment, that does not lead to repentance. <laughs> you see, it takes a clear understanding of both truth and grace to fully understand the depth of Jesus' gift of forgiveness and salvation. And John says that Jesus has fullness of grace and truth. This, again, is quite unique to Jesus. Then we have Jesus being unique in that he reveals God to us. That's what uh, Colossians 1.15 says. Uh, this is what Paul tells us in Colossians 1.15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus makes God known to us. As my favorite theologian one of my favorites, Warren Wearsby says, <clears throat> the word translated, declared, or known gives us our English word exegesis, which means to explain, to unfold, to lead the way. 
Jesus Christ explains God to us and interprets him for us. We simply cannot understand God apart from knowing his son, Jesus Christ. Now, John speaks of this idea later in John. I told you you're going to be there a lot in John. 14, John 14, 8 through 11. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. The works themselves, the signs themselves, the miracles themselves. That's what he's telling them. If you want to go back to that, again, the reference is John 14, 8 through 11. Jesus is unique in many ways. All of those unique things about Jesus position him to be the only acceptable sacrifice on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins. So John's going to basically spend the next 11 and a half chapters laying out the case for why you and I can believe everything that he has just said in this prologue. Everything that he's going to outline for us, all these seven signs, these miracles, that are going to be a testimony to who Jesus is. That's what we're going to look at in the next uh, few weeks and months. But before uh, we walk away from this particular passage, I have an I will statement for us. And and generally, it, it should be something that you pull out of the text and say, you know, I think I'm going to respond to the word in this way. But I figure it's a new year, so we'll try something different. Uh, Because in my mind, you can't read these 18 verses and just sit there and wait till next week and come back and go, okay, now now what? Now now what do I do? Got to do something what we just heard. So I'm going to propose that we memorize John 1.12. John 1.12 was sort of the heart of what we just talked about. If we're going to title what we're memorizing, it's going to be Must Receive Christ. Just sort of, it's not in the center of the, the text, but it is at the center of the message of the text. So he's talking about in this section, this is the, the manifestation of Jesus, of the Word. He was in the world, but the world was made through him, yet they did not know him. It came to his own, yet they did not receive him. Verse 12, but... To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That summarizes all of John, what we're talking about here. But to those who did receive him, there's an aspect of believing, of knowing, of understanding, of committing ourselves to knowing who Jesus is, repenting, turning away, and and changing our mind about who we are and who God is, and following after him. Because when you memorize scripture, something happens. You have to sit with it. You have to have it go over and over in your mind. And so you're actually meditating on it and you're internalizing it. A massive part of salvation and of this section of John is receiving Christ as our Savior. So so who's ready to do this? You don't have to raise your hand. I mean, you can if you want. But who's ready to come next week having this scripture memorized? Hopefully, uh, you will commit. And, and we'll look forward to hearing a lot of people next week asking each other, hey, lay on, lay on me John 1.12.
let me hear it. And that's not to put anybody on the spot, but it, it's to put everybody on the spot. <clears throat> Basically, what, what I'm saying here. Look, this is just a small step in the direction uh, that I feel like God is calling us as a church to, to, to be more responsible for what we do with what we have. You know, Mark's message last week, maximizing the moment, sort of put me on a path to where I want to see myself going this this coming year. So for 2021, for me, it's it's maximizing my assets. That's sort of my focus for this year. Maximize my assets, which is my time, all my resources, finances, giftings, my relationships with Jesus and with others. Maximize my assets. And one of those ways that we can maximize our time is ingesting the Word of God and memorizing it and, and giving it back out. <clears throat> One of the greatest things I think that I'm coming out of 2020 with is is scripture memorization. Um, my son and I have been working through the the Navigator's uh, topical memory system, and it has been a challenge, but it's been great. We, we're almost done, actually. We only have I think four more scriptures to memorize, and we've got this whole thing down. And I can't tell you how many times God has brought those scriptures to my heart, and it's crazy. Like I've memorized scripture before, but this is on a new level. Like almost every day, there's some scripture that I've memorized over 2020 that's come into play. And I'm like, God, this, this is, you are so good. <laughs> you are so faithful. So, so don't just take my word for it. <laughs> Commit the word of God to memory and see how he brings it into play in your day-to-day life. And the more word you memorize, the more that you have in there, that's just, again, don't, don't take my word for it. Although I am giving you a testimony about the power of memorization of scripture. See what he does with it. Take take a step in that direction. I know some of you have expressed a desire to do this. Um, so let this be the first step in that direction. And we'll go from there. I'm not going to say, I'm gonna get, we're going to give you a verse every week to memorize. But uh, if you're interested in going on this journey with, with me as well, at scripture memorization, talk to me afterwards. I'd, I'd love to, to, to sit down. I could be your, your quizzing partner. You know, uh, I think there's over a hundred verses in this topical memory system that you can memorize in, in a short period of time. So if you're down for that, let me know. I'd be happy to, to be your, your sparring partner, as it were. But look, I'm going to stop here. This, this is going to be an exciting time moving forward as we walk through John. But I really want us to be very cognizant of the idea or aware of the fact that as your pastors, we're leading you to the, 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 the green pasture. Now it's your turn to actually eat, dig in, take this word, study it this week. If, if you feel compelled, you want to read the Gospel of John, if you're an average reader, reading through the Gospel of John, in its one sitting will take you an hour and a half, 90 minutes. Maybe you've got 90 minutes this week. Maybe you don't want to memorize Scripture. You're like, I don't want to memorize John 1.12. Cool. Then set aside 90 minutes and read through the entire Gospel according to John. A couple options there for you just want you to do something with what we're doing, okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help, um, again, that we can can be faithful to the things that you've called us to. Uh, you've shown us, Jesus, through your goodness and your faithfulness, um, who you are. You've revealed that in your word to us. God, we know that um, we've been introduced to the word today. Uh, we, we've seen the the herald, the 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 proclamation through John. We've seen the manifestation of the Word coming in flesh and dwelling among us. We've seen the uniqueness of the Word. So, Father, we just ask that we 
take this information. We, we utilize it to help shape our understanding of who you are, why it's so important for this message to be proclaimed to all. Because that's your desire, Lord. That's, that's what you say you want to do, is that all would believe. Now write these things <laughs> to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may believe. So help us, Lord, to be faithful in our own walk, to maximize what you've been given, what we've been given in you, Christ. Lead us, equip us, strengthen us, and we need your help. So help us to do it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.